Welcome to Lifelines, a radio program of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher, Legislative Director of the Federation. Joining us today is pro-life advocate extraordinaire, Sean Carney. Welcome, Sean. Hello, glad to be here. Thank you. So good to have you with us today. Sean, how did you become first involved in the pro-life movement? Uh, really through the example of the Irish priests um, in my high school and, and middle school. You know, I'm from Tyler, Texas, which is literally 3 or 4% Catholic. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have Irish priests in the school, and, and we had no abortion facility and, and, uh, in my small town, but they they charitably preached against abortion and talked about abortion. I just got really convicted. And when I was in middle school, I heard Carol Everett speak, who's a former abortion uh, facility owner in Dallas. Uh, she had a conversion, and she spoke in my hometown. And uh, I just got really involved in high school and then in college started going out at the invitation of my then-girlfriend, now wife, to peacefully pray at our local uh, Planned Parenthood. Wonderful. Now, for those who are not aware, explain what 40 Days for Life is. It's simple. It's, it's based in the grassroots. It's 40 days of prayer, 40 days of fasting, and 40 days of a peaceful vigil outside of an abortion facility. We do two internationally coordinated campaigns a year where cities around the world are doing this at the same time. We have a fall campaign, which starts on September the 22nd, and then a spring campaign always done in conjunction with the season of Lent. And so these two campaigns a year, uh, we'll have 612 cities this fall, uh, but a total of, of 1,000 cities have done 40 Days for Life over the years in, uh, in 65 different countries. And so it's very basic, it's to the point, and we've been blessed with, with wonderful results. Explain some of those results, especially the impact of 40 Days for Life worldwide. You mentioned all the different countries that are involved. Yeah, we just added South Korea. We added Cuba. We have campaigns in Venezuela, probably our most persecuted campaigns. And, you know, we've seen 19,198 babies saved. Those are the ones that we know about. Uh, The abortion facility workers who have left, we've helped 221 abortion facility workers who have had a change of heart and left their job. They always say that the no-show rate of an abortion appointment is as high as 75%. A no-show rate is 75% when people are out there praying. Um, so we, we saved a lot more lives than, than we know of, for sure. But we've also helped close 112 abortion facilities. And uh, one of those is our headquarters now. It's the place where 40 Days for Life first started in College Station, Texas, and that uh, in 2014 became the headquarters of 40 Days for Life. And I should mention one is also very close to me in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. There was an abortion yes. center known as Hillcrest. And yes. 40 Days for Life was very active there, and lo and behold, that facility has shut down and lives have been saved. Yes, it was PA at its finest, and I've been to that location twice, and it's, you know, they all need to close, but that one really needed to close, and so it was, it was great when, uh, when, we, when we got the news, and just, I mean, we've had campaigns there since 07, and so it's just, uh, it's been beautiful to see uh, so many abortion facilities close, and you know, what most people don't realize, you can get discouraged, certainly with so much going on in the culture war. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in the culture war, too. 
But we're winning on the pro-life side for sure, uh, despite 50 years of legalized abortion. And not just legislatively, but at the grassroots. I mean, over half the abortion facilities in America have closed over the last 25 years. Um, 36% of Planned Parenthoods have closed just over the last decade. So there's real a movement, not only with 40 Days for Life, but with all the wonderful pregnancy resource centers that now outnumber abortion providers five to one. And and that's what winning looks like, is, is, is outnumbering them and seeing abortion facilities close. Now, 40 Days for Life was featured in the movie Unplanned. What was it like seeing yourself portrayed on the big screen? I imagine that must have been something that was surreal, it's 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 weird. I wish I had a more sophisticated name. <laughs> so my wife, my wife and I uh, both, both uh, were portrayed in it, and uh, and it was of course a great honor. And the guys who made the movie, um, you know, had our input for five years. They came to our house and interviewed us. The movie's accurate, uh, which was very important to them, and isn't always important to Hollywood, uh, but it, but it was very accurate. And they made us part of it. You know, part of the making of it, and certainly. Uh, you know, being portrayed in the movie, uh, it is strange. It's strange to have to live through something that then is a movie also, not just like seeing yourself and somebody say your name. That's kind of goofy and, you know, makes our, our teenage kids laugh and, it, you know, it's kind of funny. But um, but just seeing the story played out and then having lived through it, um, that was that was a, that was quite uh, a journey. And um it, it, you know, it was a great movie. I hope people watch it. It's the best. I think it's the best, quote, Christian movie. A lot of them aren't that great. But Unplanned was very, very well done. And it was a huge hit at the box office. And and uh, it changed a lot of minds and changed a lot of hearts. And, and that's what it was designed to do. But it, it certainly will encourage anyone uh, who is on the fence on the abortion issue to to make a decision and to take this seriously because Unplanned really got got to the heart of it and you know for those of you who don't know it's it portrays abby johnson's uh, life and her conversion and you know she walked into my office in 2009 and they really cover about a decade of our life you know in a two-hour movie and and they did a great job what is it like seeing babies and mothers who have been saved from the devastation of abortion as a result of a 40 days for life campaign that's a great question Number one, obviously that never gets old, but what it does for me and, and I think most people who, who get to meet a baby who is saved from abortion is it just lifts you up and gives you perspective about the world, that every abortion has to kill a baby. It has to crush any possibility of a, of a kindergarten class or a 10-year-old birthday party or a Rhodes Scholar. It, it, it annihilates everything through a violent and barbaric surgery. And when you're holding a baby that was so close to becoming a statistic, um, it really hits what we are doing in the grave evil that abortion is. And so it's, it's, it's overwhelming. It's joyful, obviously, to, to hold the baby, but it, it's also motivating that, you know, this is this is such an attack on the beautiful fruit of the family. And our Lord came to us through a family, a holy family. He could have popped out of an acorn and saved us from our sins, but he didn't. And now the womb 
um, you know, where he once dwelt is the most dangerous place in our world, statistically speaking. And so it's motivating. It's beautiful. And I'll share, you know, a, a version of this that is really neat when somebody pulls over, you know, we'll be out there in any given 40 days for life location and a mom will pull up and say, Hey, you people don't know me and, and I don't really know you, but you were out here two years ago and I just drove by. I didn't, I didn't go in for my abortion and I want you to meet my two year old. That happens all the time. It happens all the time. And, and that, that's just awesome. So you don't know your impact. That's why it's so important that we, that we take time out of our week or day and go out and, and pray. It has a tremendous impact. Do you have a favorite success story from 40 Days for Life? No, and I don't even know if I'd be allowed to have one. <laughs> and they'd be like, well, what about my story? Um, but I, I tell you, big picture, one of the most moving things that I've seen how God has used 40 Days for Life are – children with disabilities who are going to be aborted and are saved because they have a huge target on their back. And there is nothing like seeing a child who everybody in the world said to abort the baby for all these great sophisticated reasons that we've come up with. And, and the mom overcomes that courageously and, and has the baby says no to the husband or the doctors or whoever it is, overcomes the pressure, and then brings her child with disabilities out to a 40 days for life vigil. I mean, what a, what a powerful witness of essentially the hope of Christ versus the world, the, the cynical, cold world that, that judges a baby based on their circumstances of their conception, you know, and so it's a beautiful witness, and that that never gets old, for sure. What prompted the new book, What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion? (laughs) Honestly, it's a cliche answer, but it's really true. People just kept asking me for it, you know, they just, you need to write a book like this, and it, it never... It it didn't get me excited, I guess, because I've been doing this so long. I'm like, people know what to say when abortion comes up on this or that. And and I had friends and family say, look, they don't. And there's a lot of new weird stuff, too, that that abortion advocates are are doing. So once I started writing the book uh, with Steve Carlin, that was during the COVID lockdown, we really got into it. And we really got excited. And we were like, okay. We have something here, and we realize how much it was needed. There's a lot of dated materials out there that don't address the new arguments, you know, and there's a lot of new arguments for abortion. Nobody is talking about safe, legal, and rare, which Bill Clinton created whenever he ran for president after being a pro-life governor. You know, safe, legal, and rare is gone. Now it's shout your abortion and infanticide. And so um, the book is, is manageable. It's easy. It's hundred. 60 pages, something like that. We tell you exactly what to say when, just like the title says. We also have a chapter on what not to say. Um, but, it, it, you know, the feedback has been fantastic. It debuted <clears throat> number one new release on, on Amazon for our category. It was the number two Amazon bestseller uh, for all Christian books uh, the week it came out last week. And we were really overwhelmed by the response. Um, honestly, we, we thought there was a niche and we thought there was a need, but we really underestimated, uh, how many people were wanting this book beyond the ones just 
you know, that were telling us to write it. And so uh, it's been awesome. We're on our second printing. We're very grateful, but it's a book that <clears throat> is meant to be put to work. And at the end of each chapter, we give you specifically what to say. And, um, and it, it's just been awesome to see so many books ship out and, and also to see the, get the feedback and the reviews. And we've had people say, I literally read this chapter and then I was on a plane and somebody asked me about it. <laughs> so they were able to use it, which is the most important part of the book. Now, in the book, you talk about the benefits of asking questions when discussing abortion. Why are asking questions in that context so important? Yeah, because we don't have to defend ourselves. I mean, you know, we mentioned defend life, and everybody knows what that means, but really life needs no defense. Abortion requires constant justification. You know, I mean, nobody, like, is talking to parents sitting around with their three little kids going, now, why, I mean, why exactly do you, do you have these children living in your home? You know, and the parents are like, but these are my kids. I love them. Yeah, but why did you want children? Well, you know, you don't have to justify that. I mean, now uh, we've gotten into this point where we're, we're sort of trying to justify being pro-life. It's total opposite. And the other thing is we're not taking advantage of a huge advantage we have, which is that abortion supporters are completely ill-equipped to defend abortion, ill-equipped. So this is easy. This is, this is very, very easy. And, you know, we take you through, we've had thousands of conversations around the world on abortion, and we take the reader through what to say, what not to say, but also these approaches that will convert hearts. You know, this isn't like the world, according to Sean Carney. These are proven uh, approaches that we've seen work on abortion facility workers, on women uh, who have had an abortion and, and are defending it, or women who are, are seeking an abortion, you know, middle-of-the-road people. It's a, it's a proven book, and, and asking questions, asking the right questions. I'll give you an example, and somebody laughed at this when I mentioned it the other day, but they're like, that's a good point. I mean, we need to ask abortion supporters, what is an abortion? You know, because immediately they're going to say it is a right to privacy protected in the Constitution. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know all that. But like, what is an abortion? Like, what happens? They have never thought of that in their entire life. You're listening to Lifelines Radio, recorded by JMJ Radio. I'm Rhea Gallagher. With us today is nationally known pro-life advocate Sean Carney. Sean, in the book, you talk also about the importance of keeping your cool but not being a wimp. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, that's just, just that. Everybody knows what that means. Um, you know, we do. Sometimes we think, I am such a compassionate and respectful person that I will compassionately respect an insane argument that we would never accept. We wouldn't accept it on slavery. We wouldn't accept it on executing Jews in Nazi Germany. We, we just wouldn't accept dehumanizing another group of people. If somebody said, you know, I, I can understand why some people wouldn't want black people in the restaurant. No one would say, oh, that's a good point. Let's discuss. They'd say, are you insane? You know, so you can respect people's hearts and minds and souls, right? And we're in the business of souls. We have to have zeal for souls. But you don't have to respect their insane argument that wants to dehumanize a baby so that we can surgically remove them. Is the only surgery that 
you, you tear and you rip in order to kill and not heal. Only surgery, you're not supposed to survive. Um, and there's a way to do that. You know, you can, you can, you can, you, you can respect someone without accepting any of their arguments. And I think we give way too much legitimacy uh, to, to pro-abortion arguments because we're afraid of coming off as judgmental, which is an understandable fear. But th- there's, a, there's a way to do it, and it's, you know, um, sometimes we just assume we're the self-righteous one, and, and we're not. We're not the one degrading an entire segment of our population. They are. The book points out that abortion survives not because its supporters make a strong case, but because pain, confusion, and sometimes anger fuel a relentless push to keep it legal. That's such a powerful statement. How did you come to that understanding? Through my work in the pro-life movement, realizing abortion is built on pain and fear. I mean, there aren't medical doctors right now. There aren't students in medical schools saying, I'm going to be the best abortion doctor ever. They do do that for oncology. They do do that for cardiovascular surgery. But something went wrong, and they became an abortion doctor. Something went wrong, and the woman thought she had no other option than to have an abortion. Nobody grows up wanting an abortion. Nobody grows up wanting to work in the abortion industry. It's built on pain, like any sin. It, it's, it's justified on, on the back of the pain of the sin. And that's, that's okay. That's why we're in the business of, of healing. Like, we're not going out to win a bunch of arguments. We are nurses and doctors going into a hospital full of sick people. If our culture is anything, it is sick. It is sick. And people on both sides agree with that. Where it's sick is, is debatable, but our culture is sick, and we go in uh, with the help of the great physician to heal because abortion is, is devastating to the woman. It is devastating to the woman. That's another motivation of writing this book. We have to speak up. We have to speak up. I mean, not saying something and, and are planting a seed and 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 you know in in a conversation and then that same person is could be involved with an abortion decades later and the consequences of you not speaking up on the reality of abortion can lead to abortion it just can and 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 the opposite can happen when you do speak up you know we've had people contact us and say i heard this podcast or whatever 10 years ago and y'all said this and then when my sister got pregnant or when I got pregnant, I knew I couldn't have an abortion, but I, I probably would have. So, you know, we can, we can say something and, and know that it is ultimately souls that we're, that we're going after. And that'll give us the calm to, to do it in a loving way and, and do it in a way that is going to bring, make even more people pro-life. The book also notes that the heart is the key to the mind. What do you mean by that? That everybody assumes you're pro-life, you're a bigot, and you want to lock women up in cages on the border. And when you when that wall comes crashing down, and you're a human person, and you have a heart, and you actually do care uh, for the women involved in abortion, and even for the abortion workers, which most abortion advocates could care less about the abortion workers. We we definitely care for them more than they do. Um, once that wall comes down, abortion is forced to stand on its own, and it can't because it's a lie. As Sandra Day O'Connor said, Roe v. Wade is on a collision course with itself because of science. Uh, 
and she supported abortion. So, you know, it's one of those where if you make abortion stand on its own um, and you get you kind of get out of your own way, you know, they know you have good intentions. They know you're coming from a good place. The argument part is easy. You could a five year old knows that abortion is wrong, but it's it's showing that love. And that's what turns hearts and minds. That's what I mean, the hundreds of abortion facility workers we've helped. They just kind of gave up on us being judgmental, you know, <laughs> they just kind of eventually you're just like, you know what, they're out there in the rain. Maybe they're a religious nut and they're out there praying the rosary. And I think that's weird, but I, I still have to reflect on what I'm doing here. And and that 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 happens over time and it can happen in conversation for sure. I just finished the book this week, and it's absolutely marvelous. I highly recommend it. I I really love the ending. I'm not going to give that away, but <laughs> you you really ended that book on a wonderful note. So I I thank you for writing it because it it is a handbook that every pro life advocate should have because it it goes through the different arguments. Or, or lack of argument that you're going to face from people who promote abortion. And it's refreshing to know what to say. I, I know I was caught off guard recently when I did an interview with a reporter, and he asked me about back-alley abortions. And I, I was just uh, thrown for a loop because I, I couldn't really understand. Now, why is he asking about that? Because it, it didn't really have anything to do with the topic at hand. Right. But um, this is the type of book that you need in those situations to get you through, so I highly recommend it. Now, you talked about Sandra Day O'Connor, and, um, you know, uh, uh, it's interesting about Roe versus Wade at this point. Um, the 1973 U.S. Supreme Court case, which legalized abortion nationwide, do you think that the overturn of Roe is on the horizon? I do. I think that Roe is going to is going to get beat up a bit at 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 worst in in October or this fall. The Supreme Court is supposed to hear a case that strongly challenges Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs case from Mississippi, which is brilliantly written. Mississippi should wrap themselves in glory. Um, it certainly is enough to overturn it. Um, I know we've been disappointed by the Supreme Court a lot as conservative people, as Catholics. Um, they have a tendency to just make stuff up. And uh, most of the Supreme Court's greatest victories are undoing uh, their own mistakes. Um, but I do think that it will, Roe v. Wade is, is going to end eventually in the next five to ten years for sure, if not this fall. You know, it would be announced in January. Um, but we don't know what some of these justices are going to do. It's a little bit like the NFL draft. Um, you, you pick the, the great candidate and you think they're going to be great. And then you don't know until they, until they go in and make decisions. But certainly Justice Roberts, who was, seems to have forgotten what he believes about anything, but you know, it, it, you just never know. So, uh, I am hopeful, um, and I guess cautiously optimistic, but there is a lot in that Dobbs case where if they don't overturn the whole thing, they can certainly, um, put some wounds in, in Roe v. Wade for sure to, to help the pro-life movement. So I think, too, and this is one of the reasons that I wrote the book, and I appreciate what you said about the last chapter. We'll, we'll keep it a mystery. Thanks for yeah. not ruining it for the listener. <laughs> um, but 
you know, we have to step back and look at what in the world we're discussing. You know, I mean, these be everybody on the Supreme Court went to Harvard or Yale. Uh, as Scalia said, we are hardly part of society. We're all either Jewish or Catholic, and we all went to Yale or Harvard. You know, we don't represent the American people. This is one of his many funny lines. Um, and we're discussing whether or not we can systematically destroy children in the womb, when at the same time we will do surgery on them, we will prevent a pregnant woman from going on a roller coaster. We won't serve a pregnant woman 10 whiskeys at a bar. We'll do all sorts of things to protect an unborn child. Scott Peterson is in prison for second-degree murder, for murdering his wife and her unborn child. So we're schizophrenic with abortion, and we think we're so sophisticated. But we're, like, trying to decide, you know, when we can abort the baby as if the baby is a mutual fund and gets more value over time and more dignity over time. Um, and that's where we step back and say we are a sick culture and we are a lost culture, and that is the victory on the cross that, that certainly we as Catholics put all of our faith in. And we have to keep that perspective. We, we do, because, you know, there's. <laughs> I think in the book we, we put in there, I mean, you're the same one. You know, you're the same one, and the world has gone mad, as Chesterton said. So, you know, we have to we have to keep that perspective, and it'll it'll give us a, an appropriate disposition when these issues come up. It's a disposition that our hope is not in this world, and and we are here to offer hope. Now, with just a little more than a minute left, what's your best pitch for people becoming involved in Forty Days for Life? Oh, that it works. You know, that God will, he does so much with so little, and it's easy. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be tall. You don't have to, you know, you can just sign up, sign the statement of peace, because we are peaceful and law-abiding, and we love the cops. And you go out there, and you peacefully pray for an hour a week or an hour a day. And I'm telling you, it, it, no one's regretted it. We've had one million volunteers participate in 40 Days for Life, and I haven't had one person tell me, I just regretted doing that, you know, and, and you can volunteer for a lot of things and people will kind of complain about something they volunteer for at church or wherever. And there's a lot of great things to volunteer for, but um, I've never heard anybody complain or, or regret participating in 40 days for life. It is a beautiful thing. You are entering into a prayer vigil and it's the front lines of the front lines of our culture. And a little bit goes a long way. Um, your little candlelight out on the, out on the sidewalk will, will burn brightly in, uh, in our culture for sure. Thank you so much. Sean Carney of 40 Days for Life, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you. Anytime. You've been listening to Lifelines Radio, a production of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher, Legislative Director of the Federation. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. We'll see you next time. Take care.